glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. give a little bit of clarification at the end of this the bible says that god repented repentance does not always deal with sin god never sinned never will never has and so he never repented of sin repent here means he changed his mind he was going to destroy them and he decided not to Uh, they responded to god as they should and he responded as he can in his mercy and he did jonah's very well-known story Uh, we normally think about the great fish me and my little girl were reading Jonah this morning. Uh, my daughter Brooklyn came and sat down. She'd been talking about Jonah, Jonah, because Grandma's been uh, showing her little things about Jonah. And so I said, did you know? Ben asked her the other night, where's Jonah found? And she said, everywhere but the Bible. And uh, so we read it from the Bible this morning and uh, reminded of the... We were, we were looking at Jonah a couple weeks ago in Sunday school uh, when Jonah said it would be better for him to die than that the... People of God, uh, people of Nineveh should be spared, indicating his very strong feelings toward the Ninevites. Uh, but thankfully, God's more merciful than man is, amen, and was willing to forgive these people when they responded to him as he should. I, I want to bring this more, I believe it's this exactly what the Lord wants, specifically though, our focus on how the people of Nineveh responded to God. The word repentance is not used in regard to them, it's really used here in regard to God, but I want to speak of their repentance toward God. We could give, as I said, the simplest definition means to change the mind, but it really, if, you, if all you say, how many of you have ever met somebody, and you can read accounts of this in the Bible, you, you point out something that biblically in their life is sin, and they quickly say, I agree, that's sin. So, you know, you stole something from the store, and that was sin. Oh, I agree, I've sinned. Now, you realize you deserve to go to jail for that. No, no, I don't. If, if people knew my intentions, my intentions were pure, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, They're not repentant. They're agreeing that what they did on paper is wrong. Repentance, though, has to do with getting our attitude in accordance with God's attitude. When we can see, I've heard it stated this way, repentance is taking God's view against ourselves, taking God's side against ourselves. What I run into in in the world we live in is it seems very few think that they have anything from God against them. I've done nothing to offend God. Why should he be offended with me? I'm a good person. I can't think of any reason he would be upset. I find in the Ninevites that never took place. They were in such a condition that when God sent a preacher to say he was going to destroy them, you don't even find Jonah naming their sins. They knew him. They knew him. They knew exactly where they had offended God. How many of us know the Ninevites did not have a Bible? The Ninevites did not have the Holy Spirit of God in their presence, so far as I can tell. The Ninevites, other than represented by Jonah and the Word of God, the Ninevites did not have a synagogue. They didn't have a temple. In that day, uh, the, God, uh, the Jehovah God met with His people at the temple in Jerusalem. The Ninevites, they didn't have that. The Ninevites had so much less as far as revelation from God than you and I do. How many of you own a Bible? How many own two Bibles? Most people own two or three or four copies. We have a lot of revelation in our hands from God. How many of us know we have the benefit of years and years of history to benefit from God's dealings with man? We have a lot of light, more than the Ninevites had. Yet when God sent a preacher to them named Jonah, by the way, who didn't want to go because he didn't want them to get saved. We got people that come to us and do want us to get saved. 
the Lord Jesus Christ has so transformed the lives of people, they actually share his heart to see men saved. Jonah didn't even want to see them saved. He hoped they would die. But they still believed it. And they still repented. See, why do you say all this? Because I believe a number of the reasons we offer for why we don't repent, the preacher is inconsistent. He doesn't love people. The Ninevites could have done all of that. But they didn't. They knew that what they heard was truth. We have a, an assault at large in our culture on the concept of truth, period. Therefore, when the truth comes from the mouth of God, it is quickly said, well, that doesn't apply to this. So we really need a clear picture of what repentance is. And may God help us to understand that repentance is not something to flee from. It's something to desire It is something that is a blessing from God. When we are at odds with God, it is needful that we should adjust our thinking, our attitude to Him by faith. And so three things I want you to see about the the Ninevites this morning and their repentance in these few verses. We'll start again looking back at verse 4. As I believe, again, they are such a tremendous picture of what repentance is. Let me say this. Repentance is necessary... By the way, you cannot have genuine faith without it producing repentance, nor can you have repentance, genuine repentance, based on anything but genuine faith. They're inseparable. They're not the same, but they are inseparable. Uh, Genuine faith, because if repentance is agreeing with God, I have to believe what he says to agree with him. Amen? I have to take his side against myself by faith. And so genuine repentance is built upon and based upon genuine faith. And again, we see this here this morning. But repentance is something necessary to be born again. You have to realize, agree with God, without Jesus Christ, I am a condemned sinner. I am not just. I am not without guilt. I am worthy of condemnation. Only Jesus Christ's righteousness can make me pure enough to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. It requires, none of us naturally think that way. You and I were not naturally born saying, you know what, I am such an awful person, I need someone to save me from my sin. We are born thinking, I'll, I'll do it myself, I'll work at this, I'll make myself a good person. And the Bible says that's not the way salvation occurs, that it's by grace through faith that we are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ, that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But how many of you know that repentance as a general term that it doesn't stop after you're saved. Well, I repented and put my faith in Christ, and now I'll never need repentance again. And we know that the number one call of the Lord Jesus on five out of seven of his churches was repent, meaning you've got some ideas, you've got some thinking, you've got some doctrine, you've got some deeds in the midst of your churches, and I do not approve of them, so quit agreeing with yourself and believe me. You know what we need today? Simply to believe the Bible. If we believe the Bible, it'll do the God, it's God's Word. And because it's God's Word, if we would just believe it like little children, then repentance is the natural product of that. And so having said all of that, let me just give you these things this morning in Jonah chapter 3, beginning verse 4 again. The Bible says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I'll say one more thing about Jonah's message. When I go to somebody that I know is under God's condemnation because of their 
positioning of their heart and mind toward God, their defense of their sin and their opposition to Jesus Christ, a rejection of Jesus Christ, I can go to them and on the authority of God's word say, if you'd believe God concerning your sinful state, and if you'll believe God concerning the condemnation that's on you, and if you'll believe God concerning Jesus Christ and his righteousness, God will forgive you, save you from hell, and take you for eternity into heaven. I can tell them that on the authority of God's word. Jonah didn't preach that. How would you like somebody to knock on your door today and say, 40 days, God's going to send you to hell? Well, that'd go well, wouldn't it? That's it? I mean, we're supposed to be messengers of hope. Jonah didn't bring hope. He said, 40 days and fire's going to fall. Wouldn't that be an encouraging message for our country this morning? United States of America has 40 days and God's going to wipe us off the face of the planet. Let me ask you this. Can I just help? Let's just put things in perspective. If the God of heaven did send us a prophet, he's not gone and we've already got the word of God, but if he did to say America has 40 days and then God's going to wipe us off the face of the planet, would we argue with God's justice in deciding to do that? How many of us would say only an unjust God would ruin a nation like the United States of America and wipe her out? Only an unholy God would destroy a holy nation like ours. Do we have any defense? We do not. We do not. My point is this. The Ninevites knew the same thing. When God, when God sent a prophet and said, 40 days and your judgment's coming, I don't find that one person all the way to the king argued with God's judgment. And may I say this? If we could stop right here and we, we have a message already. Where we get in trouble is where we justify ourselves instead of justifying God. The Bible says, let God be true, and every man a liar. Meaning, anytime man is in conflict with the mind of God, we need to change our thinking. You and I can have disagreements with each other, and probably both of us need to adjust the way we think. But when we're in an argument with God, we're always wrong. That's the way it is. He's always right. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says. Here's what happens. Something inside of us says, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I don't like that. But that's the truth. God is always right. Study the history of mankind and nations that have opposed the word of God. You know, the Roman, the Roman Empire thought it was too great to fall. But it did. I fear that our nation feels the same way, and it's not so. But let's get a little more personal this morning as we focus on this subject. Number one, concerning repentance. The Ninevites had assurance concerning the word of God. The Bible says in verse 4 that Jonah came and cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Then in verse 5, So the people of Nineveh did what? Believed God. They said, What we just heard is absolute truth. When you believe somebody concerning something, you believe that what they have told you is not their opinion, it is fact. Here's what, how, many, how many people today handle the very clear messages of this book as though it is an opinion? It's not an opinion. When God said in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, he was not introducing a theory about the origin of man. He was not. He's declaring a fact. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. You either believe Genesis 1-1 or you don't. The Bible says in John 1-1, 1, 1, 
uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, meaning this one who created us became a man and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We either believe that or we don't. The Bible says, Jesus said to those who were hearing Him, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We either believe that or we don't. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there's a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is literally going to return to this earth and He's going to set up judgment. There's going to be one day a matter called the great white throne judgment where those who appear before the great white throne will be judged according to their works. Meaning, if you're at the great white throne, we're not talking about the judgment seat of Christ where our works are judged, but at the great white throne you'll be judged as fit for heaven or not based on how you have conducted yourself. Now, may I say this? If I'm the judge, that would work out okay. But if God's the judge, he knows the secrets of man. God knows all things. And at the great white throne, it's called the great white throne because it's characterized by the holiness and the purity of God. We either believe there is literally going to be a great white throne where every soul that has not been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and their sins cleansed through Him is going to appear and be judged. And those who are at the great white throne whose names are not found in the book of life are going to be cast into the lake of fire. That is either fact or fiction. It cannot be both. Amen? It's fact. Here's where we get in trouble. When we respond as though it could be fiction. I didn't say we respond as it is fiction. When we respond as though it could be fiction. The one thing I can tell you this morning is it is impossible for the Bible to be wrong. Impossible. It's never been and it never will be. It would be a bad day to become a Bible believer at the great white throne. I'm going to repeat that statement. It would be a bad thing to become a Bible believer at the great white throne because at that point it's too late for repentance. The time for repentance is now. Jonah chapter 3, when Jonah came, he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The key to the Ninevites having salvation before the chapter is over is this phrase, So the people of Nineveh believed God. Acts chapter 4, 12, verse, chapter 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible is abundantly clear. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. If you hear those verses, what God is saying in the Bible is the only way to have your sins pardoned is through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that is fact or it's fiction. I met a Buddhist woman... Uh, kind of Buddhist. It was a menagerie of religion a few weeks ago. I told some of you already about her. She had a stone on her porch that said, I am. And she was not referencing Jehovah God. She was referencing herself. She says, what he is, I am. And what I am, you are. And we are all one. And by and by, God will not really judge anybody. And I referenced some of these verses. So Jesus said, he is the only way to God. Do you believe that or not? She wouldn't answer the question. Went around that, went around that. Because the fact of the matter is, if Jesus is not the only way to have one's sins forgiven, to be made righteous enough for eternity with God, then he is a liar. 
because he said he's the only way. And if he's a liar, we need not waste time on his word. Would you agree? Jesus is so, he is so authoritative that you either take him as he is or reject him. You cannot be somewhere in between. The Ninevites, how many of us understand, yet 40 days and the Nineveh will be overthrown was a message that could be understood. The Ninevites understood God is so upset with us that in 40 days he's going to destroy us. And they've got to respond to that. And the Bible says they believed God. What part did they believe? That in 40 days judgment was coming? Yes. That in 40 days they were going to get what they deserved? Yes. They believed not just what God said, but why he said it. They believed God. They put their confidence in the word of God. These are men, people that were living as heathens up till this day. But they believed God. The Bible says, and they proclaimed a fast, verse 4, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Some years ago, um, before, right about the time my family was moving here, so about 15, 16 years ago, there was a man that had been in this town, and he was, uh, I never met him in person, but he was saying that horrible things were going to happen to Bonner's Ferry. Some acts of terror were going to fall on this town, uh, so to speak. And he ended up being turned into law enforcement and so forth. I would have to say, if he said that to me today, I would take no measures to modify anything because he was a proven liar. I was told at some point in time that great floods were going to flood our city. We didn't take out flood insurance. We didn't, um, I didn't build higher ground housing. Uh, now here's why. You know, I didn't try to find me a house up on a hill somewhere when I was told that a flood was going to take over Bonner's Ferry and flood the whole city. I didn't believe it. I, I didn't believe it, so I didn't do anything about it. Now, some today say, I believe God. I believe God. Have you ever turned to Jesus Christ and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? I need you to save me from my sins. Well, I've never actually you know, called on him. I've never actually expressed faith in him, but I, you know, I, I believe the Bible. May I say this? The Ninevites, you didn't have to ask if they believed. The essence of their faith was this. Their faith was not on their feelings. They didn't look around and say, you know what? It feels like judgment's coming. Well, may I ask you this? What was the indicator that judgment was coming to Nineveh? Had the economy crashed? Had, um, had everybody's health failed and coronavirus taken over Nineveh? No. That the only evidence they had was a prophet that obviously had had some kind of a miracle take place because of his appearance after coming out of the belly of a, of a whale three days and three nights. The, he, by the way, you know what his ship was that brought him to shore? How do you explain Jonah being there? There was no ship. He just showed up on shore one day. But the only evidence the Ninevites had that judgment was coming was the word of God. That was it from a prophet who didn't want to be there, who didn't like them, who didn't want them to get saved, but it was the Word of God. Amen? All we need today to know that judgment is coming is God's Word makes it abundantly clear. that The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. How do we know there's going to be judgment after we die? God said it. The presence of this book is a miracle. Just like Jonah being on the shores of Nineveh was a miracle. The fact that we still hold this book in our hand, perfectly preserved by our God in heaven, is a miracle. And we ought to listen then to what it has to say. (laughs) Amen? And so then, the essence of their faith, the Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we say something like this, well, can you imagine being a Ninevite? 
Jonah shows up on shore and he says, Yet forty days and Nineveh should be overthrown. I can just hear the religious crowd of Jesus this day. Give us a sign. I am a sign. We go sometimes and try to witness to folks and we say, You know, you ever thought about the things of the Lord? No, God's never done anything in my life to cause me to think about Him. Hello, He sent somebody to your door today with a Bible asking you to think about your eternity. (laughs) God's never sent anybody my way. He did, actually. Just common like anybody else, but he sent somebody. My point is this this morning. How many times do we say, I believe the word of God if it were more than just the word of God? I would believe what the Bible says if I had more evidence. I don't believe God's going to give us any more. His word is enough. If I came home to my wife today and said, you know, um, we're going to go away for three days, and she immediately said, give me some proof. What would that tell you about her relationship with me? She didn't trust you. Same thing with the Lord. When he says something abundantly clear like, it is appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment. And we say, well, what's the proof that there's actually going to happen something after death? He said it. So the essence of the faith of the Ninevites and the essence of repentant faith is this. I take God at his word. God says it. I believe him. Number two, the evidence of their faith. And this is, the, this is how this happens. So the people of Nineveh believed God. And what's it say next? And proclaimed a fast. Because they believed him, they got serious about their spiritual condition. Because they believed that judgment was coming. May I say this? You may be here this morning born again. We're not going to be at the great white throne, but we're going to be at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ as declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and Romans chapter 14. There is a judgment seat for the believer where our works are going to be put to the test, good or bad. They're either going to abide or they're going to burn. You know what, we would do well as Christians this morning to believe him, to believe that one day how we're living has eternal consequence. Meaning, I can build my life, the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, I can build on that gold and silver and precious stones, meaning acts of obedience of faith to him, or I can build wood, hay, and stubble, earthly things. You can be saved and heap your life up with earthly things, And all that's going to perish at the judgment seat. I think one of the grave concerns that we have today is when I say I believe God, but I'm not really serious about my spiritual state. Somewhere something's not lining up. When I believe God, then I act in a manner that says I take seriously what he said. The Ninevites proclaimed to fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne... And he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. You know what? If you looked across Nineveh on that day, how could you tell the king from anybody else? You couldn't. They were all acknowledging we are all on the same level before God. We're all in trouble with God. I'm, a, I'm a, the noble ruler of Nineveh. I'm in the same trouble you are as the, as the peasant on the street. When the judgment of God comes, he is no respecter of persons. God doesn't look and say, oh, you've made many contributions in your community. Yes, you've lied. Yes, you've committed adultery. Yes, you've, you've, you've thought evil thoughts. You have bitterness harbored in your heart. Your life is defiled with so many things inward and out. But, 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 I'm willing to look over that because of the impact you've made on your world. Doesn't work that way. How many of us know Nineveh was a thriving city economically, militarily? They were almost invincible. They thought they were. Later they would be destroyed. 
They thought they were invincible because of their geographical position in the sea. But when God makes judgment, it doesn't matter, great or small, His judgment is true. He's no respecter of persons. Repentance says, God does not look at me the way man looks at me. Because God says that. When we believe God, the essence of our faith is we believe His word. The evidence of that faith, there were many outward things that revealed they believed Him. I don't think you had, I don't think Jonah had to ask, I wonder if they believe me or not. When on every corner there's somebody sitting in sackcloth and ashes and praying, God, be merciful to us. I don't think you had to ask if anybody believed. I don't think we have to ask today if most people believe God. Because the evidence says most don't. Am I out of line to say that? I believe the evidence is we are, we are entertained by the Bible. We are enamored with the Bible. But it's most important that we believe the Bible. And so then, the assurance of God's word was number one in their repentance. What brought them to repentance is when God spoke, they believed him. And we see evidence they believed him by the contrition that was manifest in their lives. They put on sackcloth and ashes and sat in ashes, including the king. They understood no one is exempt from God's righteous judgment. And so then the king makes a decree. We find in verse 7, uh, we'll look in verse 7 and 8, at, that a repentance is not only based on the assurance that the word of God is true, but it is agreement not only with assurance or faith in the word of God, it is agreement with the wisdom of God. Meaning, it's one thing, as I've pointed out, to say I have sinned. It's another to say I have sinned and I deserve God's judgment. Amen? I'll give you some people in the Bible that stated this, I have sinned. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, twice said, I have sinned, but he never repented. Achan said, I have sinned. Once it was forced to say so. He hid his sin as long as he could, and then finally when he got his hand caught in the cookie jar, he said, yeah, I have sinned. He acknowledged the truth that he had done wrong, but he did not believe he deserved the judgment that was coming. So far as I can tell. Judas agreed. Judas Iscariot said, I have sinned against the innocent blood. And he said, I don't want money that goes with this. He had great remorse, great regret. But did he ever go to Jesus and say, can you ever forgive me? I deserve your judgment. Or did he go take care of it himself? Judas had remorse. Judas had regret, but Judas had no repentance. King Saul of the Old Testament on more than one occasion told Samuel, I have sinned but the people. I did wrong, but it wasn't my fault. I have sinned, but I don't deserve to be booted out as king. You with me? Uh, You you can go so far as to say, "I, I am sure that God is right when he says I've done wrong, but I am not sure he's right when he is going to hand out judgment. The Ninevites might have said, well, we've sinned, but... We don't deserve to be wiped off the face of the planet. I mean, look at, look at Israel over there. They got gods under every tree. What about them? And they're his own people. Huh? But they didn't do that. All the Ninevites were interested in at this point was the truth. Jonah said 40 days you'll be overthrown. They believe God. So repentance is not only assurance that God is telling the truth. It is agreement with his conclusions. It's agreement with God's conclusions. The Bible says, turn if you would to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. This verse can seem harsh, but to the repentant heart, you say, I get it. (laughs) Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. The Bible says in verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. By the way, Revelation 12, 11 tells you how to overcome. 
He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall be welcomed into the holy city anyway because God is love. That was it? No. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God says, he gives a whole list here, and it's not an exhaustive list, just an exemplary list. The fearful and unbelieving. I find it interesting. His first two categories are not abominable, not sorcerers, not those in witchcraft. Fearful and unbelieving. The fearful and unbelieving, those who don't take God at his word. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And then he puts in here at last, and all liars. That's the one that convinced me I needed to be saved 37 years ago. Liars. You know what I was at that fresh young age? Confirmably a habitual liar. And I was convinced if I died, I'd go to hell, which will one day be in the lake of fire. That's harsh. Do you think the Ninevites thought Jonah's message was a little harsh? But you know what? Revelation 21, verse 8. Is God just to send these people to the lake of fire? Is he just? He is. You know what repentance says? I'm on that list that tells me where I'm going. And I deserve it. Really? God would send someone to the lake of fire over lying? Lying's not that bad. Why do we think that? God said it is. It tells us our view of sin is not the same as God's. God says lying is bad enough to spend eternity in the lake of fire over. Let me ask you this question. If your only sin in life was to be a liar, that was it, would you go to the lake of fire? I've watched people say, well, based on that verse, yeah. That's not repentance. And then you watch people say, oh, yeah. A repentant person will say, yeah, but lying's not the only thing that I'm guilty of. There's far more if God wants the evidence, and he's got it. Here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. The Ninevites not only were assured that what God said was true, they agreed that what God said was right. Don't miss what I just said. They not only were assured that what he said was true, they agreed that his conclusion as to what to do with them was right. Bible says today, the Holy Spirit of God, who's the comforter, he is the, he is the, he is, he is gentleness is associated with the Holy Spirit of God. He is fully God. But his ministry to us today, he ministers through people that he indwells, people that he has saved. But the Bible says he's in the world, meaning those who reject Jesus Christ have not come to faith. He's in the world to reprove of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin, because we, not, we believe not on Christ. You know, if a person's not trusting Christ to be their Savior, it is evident they are defending their sin. Amen? Righteousness, because Christ is no longer in this world to demonstrate His own righteousness. The Holy Spirit is here to remind us and teach us that righteousness is obtained through Jesus Christ, not through yourself. And of judgment, if you in your sin reject Jesus Christ, you'll be judged with Satan. That's the message of the Bible. And so then, repentance is, God is right if He sends me eternity in hell unless I meet his condition of coming by faith to Jesus Christ for pardon for what I deserve. Pardon for what I deserve. So many today are angry with God and say, what kind of a God would send good people to hell? God's never sent a good person to hell. 
He's only sent sinners there. Amen? So say, I don't have room in my heart for a God like that. Then there can be no room in heaven for a person like that. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be true. The Bible says that Jonah showed up and Nineveh said, yet 40 days and you'll be overthrown. And I don't find one person from the king to a pauper that said, why? If we took a little poll this morning and God said to the United States of America, yet 40 days will be overthrown, could we come up with any reason why? Could it even be that because salt has lost its savor and light has gone under bushels? That we're not doing our job as Christians to shed the light of God's word. And my point would be this. There was agreement with the wisdom of God. That's what repentance is. Assurance in the word of God and based on the word of God. Faith in what God says. But that means agreement with God's conclusions. With his estimation of their sin and with the equity of his judgment. Look at Luke chapter 7 very quickly as we work our way toward the end here. Luke chapter 7. Verses 29 and 30. I find this very interesting text of Scripture. Luke 7, speaking of John the Baptist. Let's back up just a little bit. Jesus is is speaking of John. He begins to say in verse 26, But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him, and the publicans, what's the next two words say? Justified God, meaning they were assured his word was true and agreed with his conclusions. Being baptized with the baptism of John, meaning they said, yes, we deserve God's judgment, when he comes, we want to prepare. John preached a baptism of what? Repentance. When you agree with God concerning your worthiness of judgment, but you would like to prepare for the king, indicate your repentance by baptism. Verse 30, look at this. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. So the publicans, they accepted the counsel of God against themselves. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's counsel against them. What does it say? Being not baptized of him. What was the evidence that the, the, the Pharisees did not believe the message of John the Baptist that they needed to repent toward God? Was it what they did or what they wouldn't do? And don't miss me and don't lose me here this morning. This, this applies both to unbelievers who will not call on Christ to save them because they don't believe that's what they need. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The inherent inference of that is, whosoever will not call upon the name of the Lord shall not be saved. That's Romans 10, 13. And so then there are those who will not call on Christ to save them because they're not convinced that's what's necessary. They don't believe God. There are believers this morning who God has rebuked and chastened, according to Hebrews chapter 12, for some disobedience in our life. And it's not what we're doing that is the indicator we're unrepentant. It's what we won't do. We just want to adjust to obey God. It's not sins of action, it's sins of inaction. If the Ninevites, may I ask you something, how would we know? We know this morning how the Ninevites were repentant. When they heard the message, they put on sackcloth and ashes. Their inward faith was expressed outwardly, as James says, that faith without works is dead being alone. We know they had faith because of what they did. Even so, this morning, how can you tell when someone's unrepentant at the preaching of God's Word? How would we have been able to tell the Ninevites? When Jonah was sent, what would have changed? 
nothing. Life is normal. Why should, why should we change anything? We don't believe that we have done anything necessary for God to judge us. Eh? How can we tell today when we've heard the word of God and we don't believe God? Nothing changes. Now, I'm not saying change is the repentance. I said it's the fruit of it. John preached, bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. Someone said, well, that was under that dispensation. I'm glad that was brought up because in Acts 13, Paul preached the same thing. And he explained that later in the book of Acts. Bring forth works, meat for repentance. Meaning, if you're repentant, it will show up in what you do. When we agree God with God, it's demonstrated in our lives. It is a change of heart and mind that results in a change of direction. And the, that we see in the Ninevites. They agreed with God's estimation of their sin. They agreed with His equity and His judgment. Unlike the Pharisees in... you know. So again, how do we know that the Pharisees rejected the counsel of God against themselves? The Holy Spirit of God says, this is the token that tells you they rejected God's counsel. They would not be baptized. They would not take on the symbol of repentance showing you they weren't repentant. If this morning I used in Sunday school, I said if I had a little uh, swastika on my lapel, would that mean anything? Would it have any symbolism? Would it mean anything? Well, of course. Uh, you know, try, try, try wearing some other symbol. Yeah, it symbolizes something. What if we were told you have to put one of those on and we said, I refuse? You know what they would tell us? We reject what goes behind that. Right? Well, people say, I reject, I, you know, I reject the word of God. Here's how you can tell. They don't respond. No, no response at all. That's what the Pharisees did. They went and heard John preach. And then they could have shown, we believe the same thing the publicans do. We need the same, we need the same mercy they need. We need to prepare for this just king. We'll be, we'll be baptized to indicate we're sinners in need of a savior and that he's coming. But they wouldn't get baptized because they didn't believe it. Make no mistake. Many times our inaction speaks volumes. Volumes. And God takes note. Amen. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin, James 4, 17. So repentance for the Ninevites, we see it was assurance that the word of God was true. Agreement that the conclusions of God were right. They agreed with the wisdom of God. And then finally, we see the repentance and their appeal to God for mercy. Jonah chapter 3, once again, the Bible says in verse 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell? And you say, it's a hypothetical. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Now, this is where it's different for the Ninevites than us. We can tell. God promised us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We don't have to say... Who can tell if you'll repent toward God and put your trust in Jesus Christ? Maybe God will save you. No, no, no. We don't have a hypothetical. God's made us a promise. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We've got a better promise than the Ninevites. We have a better preacher than the Ninevites. We have Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about this preacher. I'm talking about the prophet of all prophets. Jesus Christ came and promised, if you believe on me, you'll have life. You know why he had to make that promise? Because we already have death. Death is already ours by our sin. For the wages of sin is death. We're not waiting to die, friend. If you've not been born again, you're dead. The Bible says you must be born again. And so then, when they appealed to God, there's some some general components here we can see. 
It says, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And since this, God saw their genuine faith and God repented. Their works was a demonstration of their faith. And God repented of the evil, meaning the judgment he was going to send on them. He repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Let me ask you, what did they receive on that day? Merit or mercy? Mercy. They deserved judgment, but they said, you know what? And here's what repentance is. We recognize God's authority. It's his decision. He gets to decide. Now, again, don't misunderstand. Today, God has already made the decision. Some say, well, I'll just wait till I die and find out where I'm going. You don't have to do that. In fact, you better not do that. You need to make that, to get that dealt with now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's what 2 Corinthians 6 is talking about. You don't wait until you enter into eternity to wait to see if you're going to get saved. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not later. You say, like, today? You don't have tomorrow guaranteed. So, yes, today. How many of you know you're going to live till tomorrow? I wonder how many people are in the flames of hell today because they said another day. And they never made another day. You say, you're trying to scare us. I wish I could. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm giving facts. If facts scare us, we need to adjust. Amen? That's just the way it is. So the fact of the matter is, there was an appeal by these people. They recognized God did not promise us mercy, because He didn't. He promised them judgment. But they knew enough about the God of Israel. They said, maybe, maybe. He's the God. He's the judge. He's the creator. He's the one that have to make the decision. But what we're going to do is we're going to respond to Him as we should, and we'll trust that He'll do what's right. That is faith. And the Ninevites said, perhaps, perhaps God will turn from his fierce anger that we perish not. Meaning, we know what we got coming, and we deserve it, but we're going to appeal to God's mercy. I don't know of any example in the Bible. You study it from one end to the other, read it up and down. I can't find one example when someone appealed to God like this that didn't receive mercy. I cannot find one. Therefore, if we perish under the judgment of God, it will not be God's fault. The Bible says in Romans 1 that we are without excuse. God is a merciful God. Do you realize he has as much mercy as he does justice? His justice is eternal and his mercy is eternal. His justice is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. He'll never run out of either equity and justice or mercy. And when we will agree with his just judgments, we can have his mercy. But if you say, I want God to treat me as though I'm just when I'm not, God will not change his character in order to justify me. I have to let him change my character to justify me through Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are justified by, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I wonder, based on this definition of repentance, could an account be written of us in the same way that one day somebody came to us and said, judgment's going to come on you? I wonder when we heard that. When we heard of a doctrine of the Bible called the doctrine of hell, the doctrine of judgment, did we say, I don't like a God like that? Or do we say, he's right? I don't know if anybody said he's right first time they heard it. Ninevites did. It's very rare for someone the first time they hear it say, you know, he's right. But there could be, there could be someone here this morning who is still in their sin, never having let Jesus Christ wash you, cleanse you from your sin through what he's already done for you. We are not saved by what we do for him. We are saved by what he does for us. It is the gift of God. 
but maybe you've never appealed to him saying, I deserve the judgment I know is coming. And I'm asking you to save me based on the authority of your word. See, the Ninevites recognized the authority of God, but they relied on his mercy. Now, turn to Luke 15, if you would. We see the same picture in the account of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. We're just going to cut in on the middle of this story. It's a parable, but it is the parable of these two sons, and you are probably familiar. We've heard the prodigal. It's become a, a... the term in our culture, so-and-so is a prodigal. And it's referring to Luke 15, someone who runs off from the authority of a, of a parent will often say, here the parent is a picture of God. And Jesus was receiving those who were repentant. The entire context of Luke 15 is about repentance. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. More than, oh, than, oh, than, oh, more than 99 just persons over one sinner that repents, that gets, says, you know what, God is right. I deserve judgment. I'm appealing for his mercy relying upon his authority, recognizing his authority and trusting in his mercy. And that's what we have a picture of with here. This prodigal son, verse 17 says, um, I, I've had my page turned wrong, forgive me. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, talking about the prodigal, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. You know, he's realizing I've been a fool. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. And my dad's hired servants are treated better than I am. It says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. May I say this? When a person believes God, not only that what God says is true, but that what God says about me is right, and I'm deserving of the judgment that's coming. And then I say, you know what? But I have confidence that he is good and merciful, and I will approach him on that basis. The Bible says that God dwells with those that are contrite, Isaiah 57, 15, those that are broken in spirit. I began to say a minute ago, it is possible, and I don't know hearts, but it is possible that we have someone or more than someone who has never yet, through Jesus Christ and through the message of what he already did for you. You see, the truth be told, and if you're, a, if you're a Christian here this morning, this ought to keep our hearts tender and open and repentant toward God in regard, in regard to fellowshipping with Him. If we can remember what Jesus suffered because of us, we have to remember that the cross was on us. That was us that did. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. We ought to say, you know what? God is not unjust. May I say this? You know when God would be unjust if he refused to send anyone to hell? That's when God would be unjust. If God said, you know what? I just, you know, you can come, you can come to me. You can live in heaven. You can live in the new city, the city of New Jerusalem. Just like you are. Just the sinners you are. I welcome you with open arms. Be what you want to be. Then God would be unjust. Because he'd be a sinner just like you and me. But he's not. He never laid down his holiness. Never laid aside his justice. What he said is, in my justice, I'll make a way for you who are unholy to be made holy. And that is through Jesus Christ taking what you and I deserved. I deserve the nails. I deserve the spit in the face. I deserve the beating. You deserve that. We deserve the the wrath of God. But instead, he took our place and died in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, our duty is to say, 
I deserve it, but I want the mercy that he, he purchased for me there. This morning, repentance is assured that the word of God is true. It agrees that the judgment of God is right, but it appeals to God for mercy. What does the publican say in Luke chapter 18? God be merciful to me, a sinner. I remember, I couldn't have, my mother wrote the date down. I just remember the night the Lord brought me to the place. I knew for sure I needed Jesus Christ to save me. I did not wonder, will I perish? I did not wonder if I leave this life. I didn't fully understand all about death. I still don't fully understand it. I just knew people died and I was going to die. When I died, I was going to go to hell. I didn't wonder if I was going to. I knew it. I knew I deserved it. And I appealed to Christ for mercy. I cannot tell you, my own testimony, I cannot tell you the great relief that flooded my soul once I took God at his word and said, Lord, I believe. You told me if I'd put my trust in you. And I don't remember what my words were. But I called on Jesus and asked him to save me knowing that he had done it. And all these years later, the one who authored my faith has still got a hold of it and he'll finish it. He's the author and the finisher. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Amen. Maybe you're here this morning. You've never repented toward God to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Christian, maybe you're here this morning and in your walk with your heavenly father, there's somewhere you're at odds with God. How many of us have been taken to the woodshed and thought, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve all this pain and affliction in my life. It is of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed. And if we're here this morning as a child of God and we're under chastisement and our attitude is, I don't think this is what I deserve. I've been treated worse than I deserve. We need to repent. Amen? Amen. Repentance, good or bad? You think the Ninevites are glad they got to repent? Did God have to give them 40 days? Couldn't he have went, boom, and been done? Why did he give them 40 days? so they could repent and be pardoned. Why hasn't Jesus returned yet to destroy those who are in rebellion against him? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a merciful, merciful God. Maybe God has given you today to say, you're not right toward me. You've defended your own self, and you have, you have taken aught with me, and you need to take my word against yourself. Acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge the condemnation or the chastisement if you're a child of God and look to God for mercy.